Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. I'm delighted to have a terrific guest today. John Mackey joins us. He has written most uh, recently the book Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business. Uh, Mackey co-founded his first health food store, Safer Way, in 1978. And uh, that very soon and quickly became Whole Foods Market, which everybody listening to uh, knows about, certainly in the U.S. He, has, he wrote Conscious Capitalism as a book before Conscious Leadership, which had a huge impact. I know Whole Foods, from my first experience, was I, I, I was at Princeton, and, and Wild Oats was where I went shopping, and then one year Whole Foods bought Wild Oats. And so I was like, huh, what is this Whole Foods thing? And, and uh, soon we all found out. So I'm really, really delighted to have John on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. It's good to be good to be on the show. So I I was saying this to you a little bit before uh, we started recording, but I, I I love the book. I love conscious leadership. I love conscious capitalism. I shop at Whole Foods, and and I love the way you are willing to share your of yourself vulnerably in order to um, drive your points home. And so I want to. Um, I want to use your story of starting Safer Way, starting Whole Foods. Uh, the you know you open your book with a moment where you almost got fired, and mm. and that that propelled you into uh, thinking more carefully about how you show up in the world. So I'm curious, maybe if you could just open up this interview with a little bit of that story and like your your moment of of self awareness and consciousness around that. Sure. Well, back in 1999, back when the the first internet boom was taking place, uh, and we caught the fever at Whole Foods. We thought, "Wow, this is really going to be transformative technology," and and uh, we wanted to have our own internet presence. It was all back then. It was like up for grabs, and we were the books that came out said, "You got to grab your turf now, or you'll never get it. It's now or never." I, my wife and I moved to Boulder, Colorado. We bought a company there called Amrion, which was a, which was a mail order vitamin company. So we thought that was a good move. These guys are in mail order. They're getting into the internet. And uh, we could use that sort of as a platform to do a wider Whole Foods type of, uh, of um, internet company as well. We, we use the name Whole People for that business. Whole Because our, our slogan then and still today really is Whole Foods, Whole People, Whole Planet. Mm-hmm. Kind of catches our mission right uh, statement right there. Right. And we moved there and I was the CEO of both companies, but I put, uh, I had a, one of my executives took over basically mostly day-to-day management of the company while I was in Boulder of Whole Foods, and I focused on the new internet operation. Well, we took venture capital money in, and uh, I think we raised like $30 million, and we were we put up our website, and we got going, and yeah, we, we basically weren't doing any business, because back in the day, 
it was the te Technorati that was actually buying stuff on the internet. Nobody else was. It had not penetrated to the mass at all. Bunch of uh, basically well-educated engineering white males were buying uh, the uh, <laughs> what was the internet back in 1999. Right. And so you had your big internet crash begin to also happen soon after we got going. And and we had partnered with a company called Gaim. The CEO of Gaim, founder of Gaim, was on our board of directors as well at Whole Foods. So I knew all about Gaim. And we basically decided to exit fairly quickly that, my God, this is not going to work. This is a disaster. And uh, we sold off the remaining assets that we had to Gaim and took a charge. And uh, then my wife and I moved back to Austin. But what happened during that period of time is that um, a couple of directors were very unhappy about the the distraction and the loss that whole people um, uh, created. That was my most vulnerable time I had in the history of the company. As an entrepreneur, uh, initially you kind of hire your board of directors, right? right? I mean, you hire you hire everybody. You're, right. The entrepreneur puts it all together, gets the capital together, gets the employees together, gets the suppliers. The entrepreneur is the driver, and. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs can take their board for granted. One of my great lessons from this experience is that you got to take your board very seriously because they can fire you. And to, to make a long story short, uh, there was a movement to push me out of the company. Uh, uh, one of my executives teamed up with two of the directors, and they began, for lack of a better phrase, a coup mm -hmm. to throw me out. And uh, that was like a total wake-up call because I felt – a deeply betrayed by by this executive who was a good friend and I worked with him for 16 years uh, and trusted him and also the uh, directors that I was like I can't believe you guys are doing this mm -hmm. uh, so I was vulnerable because of the failure of whole people and they try to take advantage and uh, uh, and we ended up having long board meeting in Florida and I had a deep experience the day I was getting interviewed by the board prior to going in. And that was, um, I was touring our stores, which I, I tend to do. And, and I just had a real quickening of consciousness. It was like, oh my God, this is the purpose of my life is, is the, the, I'm in the stores. The team members are amazing. The customers are great. I felt my heart just kind of expand in love. I loved the team members. I loved the customers. I loved everything about Whole Foods. And I realized, oh my God, this could be taken away from me today. And it was like, that cannot be, this cannot be. And um, I'll tell you something I left out of the book, but um, I actually met with the executive that was trying to take, take me out and take my position. Mm -hmm. I met with him and said, it's not too late. We could walk away today and we could go back to the way things were. But if we continue that this is going to end badly for one of us, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be, uh, I'm going to fire you if I survive. And he says, well, you're not going to survive. You, hmm. and I said, you seem so sure of that. And he says, I got the votes. And I said, man, I, I really don't think you do. But I, I, he said, he said, you can either go out with honor or you're going to get thrown out on your ass. It's your choice. Hmm. And so Nevertheless, I'd had this amazing experience touring our stores, and my heart was just kind of bursting with love, uh, love about everything. And um, when I when I got into the board meeting, uh, when I the, the, I was just still I still aglow. I was in a very higher state of right. consciousness for myself. I was very awake, and the board. I went in. And I was smiling. I was sort of radiating love, and every I, the, that my 
mood just infected everybody and everybody was kind of smiling too and they asked me they said so what happened to i'm changing the name what happened to bill what 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 did you know what's happened to, to him and i i said i don't know i i really don't understand i i i don't understand but uh, uh and then we talked and then we talked about whole foods and what my plans were for it and and I put forth a whole vision of how we were going to grow. And, and Whole Foods at that time was about a billion dollars in mm-hmm. sales. So we were a good sized company. Right. And today we're about 20 billion. So we're 20 times bigger than we were 20 years right. ago. <laughs> and um, I sold the board that day, basically, that uh, I was still the right leader. And and Bill had come in before me. And, and I found out later it sort of been on a rant. And... Uh, uh, and one of the directors told me later, he said, well, we weren't sure we wanted you to still be the CEO. We were never going to put that guy in charge. He was right. crazy. <laughs> so interesting. And what I'm curious if you bring us to that moment, because this is so connected to conscious leadership, the moment when you know, you've had this, this experience of connecting to your purpose and your mission and, and the people and the, the practical feet on the ground, you know, feeling and energy of being in the store. And then you've got, we'll call him Bill, Bill come to you and, and say these things. And for most people, not only would they be hurt and vulnerable from the, from, from the betrayal, but then, you know, what we do is we often cover our vulnerability with anger because that anger is a much more powerful emotion. And, and, and I imagine it would be like, uh, it's almost impossible to fathom that you wouldn't become livid in that example, even with the sort of support of the love you felt in the thing. And I'm curious what was happening for you in that moment. That feels like a really if, important moment. If that had happened and I hadn't had the experience of this being in the stores and being, I remember I was touring the store with the regional president of Florida mm-hmm. and I was talking about the situation with him. He, he and I were good friends. So I let him in on what was going on. And he looked at me and he says, you don't have nothing to worry about. There's no way they're going to throw you out. You are, you founded the company. You have everybody's trust. Uh, there'd be, it's not going to happen. Just relax. Don't worry about it. But if if I had not had that experience and I had talked to Bill, then uh, I might have gone into that fearful and defensive and uh, reactive and angry and as he did when he went in. So I do think it was sort of. Um, you can say it was chance or fortune or destiny or spirituality or or who the heck knows. But in fact, I had had this awakening prior to going into the board meeting. Mm-hmm. It also made me immune to whatever Bill said to me. Right. I did not go angry and defensive. But what I did, did do and I determined it's very important is that that I was going to stay in this place. I was going to stay more conscious. I was not going to go back to where I had been. I was not going to go back asleep again. And, and I was going to make changes at the Whole Foods. This was like such a wake-up call. This And it was, you have to examine, why did this happen? Well, I wasn't a victim of this. I, I created it. Right. Uh, I, I was responsible for it. My own behavior, my own arrogance, my own hubris. Uh, entrepreneurs, when they're successful, can get, you know, they can get, run away with themselves. I've seen it happen to myself, but I've also seen it happen to lots of other successful entrepreneurs. They create something, they get wealthy, they're successful, and they start to their they start to think that they're like you know more important in the universe than they really are. And and so I was determined to really go back into and to be a servant leader of Whole Foods. So this was just very important, and in a sense, I needed this to happen. This crisis was important. 
if I if I could go back, would I would I I would still have that crisis because that crisis taught me so much. I, I want to parlay this into a. Um... It's like a question that I've had in my mind, and it's so connected to what you're saying now, which is I, I have seen uh, a friend of mine, Marshall Goldsmith, wrote this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. You know, so many people are successful up to a point, and then they're only successful up to that point. And I've seen it with CEOs that I work with where, you know, we look at people on the team, and there's people who, you know, have been absolutely fantastic at helping the team get to a billion dollars, but they're not the person who can get the, t- uh, the, the, the organization to two billion or three billion, they're just they don't have that capability, and 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 it's this challenge, and and you you've you've gone from like literally you know a hippie in the seventies starting a health food store along with like thousands of other hippies starting health food stores in the seventies, and 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 you went from that to Whole Foods and to and to buying a lot of them and, and, and to really becoming this massive global organization. And I'm curious about the, like your view of what, what, what makes you different around that? Like what enabled you? And I'm sure there's probably, it's a smooth kind of continuing uh, growth pattern, but I'm also sure that there's moments like you just described of this moment where there's been kind of a major awakening. But what has enabled you to go from like dropping out of college and starting the health food store to running this $20 billion company and, and the, the, the growth that you've had to personally go through in order to meet the challenges of each stage of growth? That's a tremendously good question. And um, I will try to give as succinct as answers I can. But we got to go back, uh, in my case, to when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And I'm, I'm actually going back and forth between two universities, one uh, University of Texas in Austin and Trinity University in San Antonio for different reasons. I liked both schools. And at Trinity, I was studying religion. At UT, I was studying philosophy. And I was very much searching, so to speak, for the meaning of life. What's the purpose of life? It, it, it may know, you know, I mean, it's the same kind of questions lots of people in their late teens and early 20s are asking. And then supposedly you grow up and you stop asking them. And um, I was on track to get a degree in philosophy from the University of Texas. And, and uh, I was taking a course, you know, I mean, they're always required courses you have to take to get a to get a degree. And I really disliked this course. I really did not like the professor that I was t- teaching and I didn't like the books and I didn't want to take this course. And I had this internal battle going into my into my soul, which was I got to I got to discipline myself. I got to buckle down. I've got to do this to get the degree versus I don't like this book. I'm wasting my time. I don't want to do it. And this raged within me for about a week. And then one night I stood up. I was trying to read the book. I stood up and actually threw the book down on the ground and said, I'm not going to read this effing book. And uh, and then all these consequences came out of that. It was like, okay, well, I dropped the course the next day. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to get a degree then. Okay, not in philosophy anyway. And so then I just began to take courses I was interested in. And I I never read. I don't read books I'm not interested in. I stopped. I took control of my life. I began to follow my own destiny. I began to follow my own heart. I had a big fight with my parents and I went out on my own. And, and it's like off the dole. If you're not going to get this degree, then, you know, you you go out there and find out what the real world is like. And but I, I at that point, 
awoke to taking responsibility for my own life. And one of the things that I got very clear at at a very young age is the utter reality of death. I got very clear that we are all mortal beings, that, that, that I was going to age and die. I didn't know how much long, time I had on this planet. And it was like, it's too short to waste doing what everybody else wants you to do. Instead, uh, I, I, I determined that I was going to take control of my destiny. And then that led me to auditing classes and just, I mean, I have 120 hours of electives and no degree and just about a 4.0 average, but I just did what I wanted to do. And that led me to move into this vegetarian co-op when I was 23. I wasn't a vegetarian, but I was interested in all things counterculture at that time. I was just such, I was a sponge. I, I sometimes go to the library and read 12 hours a day. Uh, I moved in this co-op. I met my, I met a, a woman. I fell in love with her, became a vegetarian, went to work for a health food store. And I came home one day and said, Renee, what do you think if you and I open up a store on our own? And she thought that was so cool. She was a, she was a hippie chick, right? And uh, she thought that was super cool. And so we did. We opened up Saferway. And I think the point I'm making in this whole long story is two things. One is, is that I began to follow my own heart and, 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 and that guidance that was inside of me and stopped. I became inner-directed instead of outer-directed, you might say. And the other one was realization how short time is. There's just, you know, here I am. I'm 66 years old now. I'm about to be 67. And uh, I'm healthy and vital. I hope I have many more years to go. But I'm, you know, any way you slice it, more than half my life is over. <laughs> and probably two-thirds of my life is over or three-quarters or whatever. Or I could die tomorrow. And the, and the point is, what are you going to do with the time that you have available to you? And uh, I chose to do things that I really care about. And that creates an impetus to grow because we're all mortal beings, Peter. We're all going to die. The right response, and I talk, I talk, we talk about this in the chapter on love, the right response to the reality of, of, of aging and pain and illness and sickness and death is compassion. We're all mortal beings. Bill Gates is not getting out of here with any more money than you are or I am or anybody else. Same thing with Jeff Bezos. Steve Jobs died way too young, and he's a good example of that. He died in his early 60s after creating an amazing company, Apple, one of the greatest companies that's ever been created. So not much time. Got to make it count. That'll, that'll be defined by different people, but there's no reason to be arrogant. Nobody's going to remember, honestly, uh, nobody's going to remember me 100 years from now, and who cares if they did? What doesn't make any difference? What matters is love and making a difference and helping to make the world a better place and fulfilling our our heart's desire, whatever that may be. I'm so curious. Thank you for that. And I'm so curious about um, – this is what – it's coming to me is that uh, something I just read recently. Richard Rohr, who's a um, beautiful writer and he's a, a Catholic – a Franciscan monk, um, and he's written a bunch of books. But one of the things he's done is studied male initiation rites. And he's basically said, of all these male initiation rites, like around the world of every different kinds of peoples, they kind of are there to teach five things, right? One, and they all have five elements to it. Life is hard. You are not important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control and you're going to die. Those are great. I agree with all five right? of those. Right, they're amazing. <laughs> so, but, so here's my question. As an entre like you, you, you've described a bunch of that, but you've also described your sense of your own agency. 
and your sense of I've, you know, and, and I mean this in a good way, your ego strength, because there's ways in which the ego gets in the way and there's ways in which the ego could be supportive. But you feel like you can make a difference. And I'm curious about like how like you are not important and you are not in control, which we would both agree with. And yet, like you're, you have been a very, very powerful actor in the world and, and you've made things happen. So I'm curious to get your... I'll reconcile sentence. that for you. Great. Everyone's called, but everyone doesn't choose to answer the call. So here, here's the great tr spiritual truth. You're only happy when you're following your heart, and your heart is all about love and service. So the ego has to align with the deeper spirituality, and when you do that, then you are fulfilled. So I could choose to have acted differently. I could have, I could have chosen, still could choose a different destiny for myself, only I would have been miserable. Happiness comes from following, as you say, it's agency, but willingly surrendered. Mm -hmm. It's still my agency. I surrender it to this higher, deeper service. So I'm, I, I, I'm not overwhelmed by it. I'm not forced to do it. I choose it. Mm -hmm. And I choose it. We talk in the book about finding win-win-win solutions. Well, that's what I've built, kind of built my life around. It's a win for me. It is a win for others and, it's, and, and for you and a win, win for, for the larger community that we're part of. But it's about I could choose differently, but I wouldn't be happy choosing differently. And that's how I reconcile it. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm not always on the path, right? I sometimes do stupid things. I get angry. I get and uh, but I learn to choose again that I, you can always get back on the path. In each moment, in every single moment, we can choose love. We can choose to be awake and conscious. And even if we forget, well, that's in the past. In the past, nothing exists any longer. In the next moment, we can choose to go back on the path. And I've learned with all my mistakes, and I've made so many mistakes. Yeah, I'm not that important. And um, it doesn't matter. We're all brothers and sisters. And we're all, in, a, in the deepest sense, we're all, the equality everybody seeks is an equality of the heart and the fact that we are mortal beings and we're going to pass on. So why shouldn't we show compassion and love for each being that we encounter? And uh, so that's what I try to do. And I, I don't hold myself up as any type of saint. I mean, I've got an ego. I make mistakes. Uh, I just keep learning from them. And I'd like to think I'm a wiser person than I was last week or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So I, I love that. And, and I, I feel the older that I get, the the increasing sense of the impact and importance of of love and 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 how that drives me and and also how when that drives me the meaning that that i get from it and the joy that i get from it which you've described in a number of different ways hi there thanks for listening just wanted to let you know that this episode is part one of two. If you enjoyed the episode, stay tuned for next week for the conclusion of the conversation. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, 
and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.